Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a product of the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley as a service to the community and public radio. With me today on our show is Britta Volt. She was born and raised in Germany and came to the U.S. as a college student. She's alternatively made her home in California, where she graduated from California State University in Hayward and in Germany and Connecticut while pursuing a career in international business. Her work and private travels have taken her to many parts of the globe. She now lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Britta, welcome to the program. Thank you. This book, The Tour Guide, Intrigue on the Nile, is a true story of your adventures, but it reads like a suspense novel. <laughs> yes, but it is every word, and it, it uh, every word in it is true. <laughs> unfortunately, I can tell you that uh, I couldn't put it down for a number of reasons. One of them is I've always wanted to vi- visit Egypt and see the temples and the pyramids and the the relics of the ancient civilization, the the impact of Romans and Greeks on the civilization, and and you got to see an awful lot of it uh, with with a great deal of detail. Yes. I mean, I've been to Egypt now altogether nine times. And I also have a little tour company with an Egyptian friend. So if you want to go to Egypt, I'd be happy to arrange it for you. Oh, thank you. We, uh, some, some of us fear whether or not we'd be safe over there. And there's some experiences that you had during your time there that, that kind of augment that fear, like uh, when the convoys had to be led by a, an armored jeep through part of the uh, trip. Yes, but... Uh, I don't think that's true today anymore. Mm-hmm. You're talking now back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, you're perfectly safe. I just got back from Egypt in February of this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing I couldn't do anymore than I used to is uh, just troop off by myself. Like, I, I walked all over Cairo by myself. But uh, my uh, friend and guide, they wouldn't let me do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to be with us at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's uh, introduce some of the characters and t- kind of take the string of the plot. Your, your first trip to Egypt in, uh, I believe it was 96, uh, you met Hans, who became a great friend. Yes. Unfortunately, he's dead now. So. Uh, mm-hmm. he, was, he was German. And you you all struck up a a great friendship, which turned out to be helpful because uh, another person that was really important to this whole story was the guide, Big Abdul, who much of the focus is on in this. And um, Hans was staying close to you so that he didn't seem quite so forward. Yes, it was kind of funny. (laughs) But uh, he was always shadowing me because Abdul was... I mean, he was hovering over me. It was really strange. But uh, the thing is, there was a relationship between us. It it, it started on the ship, and it has carried on. And uh, I've been trying for the last, well, it's been, what, now 20 years to figure out what was really behind it, what is go- what's going on. And uh, just earlier this year, I think I found some answers. But oh. it's not in the book, of course. Uh-huh. Well, I, I have to ask, uh, what kept you attracted to this man? He, his behavior was erratic. He 
He even uh, uh, sexually assaulted you. Um, sometimes he was very nurturing, and other times he was uh, curt and cut you off and told you never to call him again. Um, I know that he was an intelligent archaeologist turned tour guide but, and uh, quite articulate in German and English, but what what kept you interested? I don't know, because deep down I kind of felt there was a connection between us, and his outlandish behavior had a reason. But uh, and I wasn't even able to find out until... Well, earlier this year, what the reason was, mm-hmm. his erratic behavior, as you call it, which is true, that men lived in fear the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, And I guess that's what I sensed, too. Uh-huh. So um, can you give us a little bit of a feel of the, this beautiful language where you describe the mosques and temples that you viewed on your first trip? Give us a little bit of the tour guide part. You mean uh, the mosques or, well, it was, uh, we were uh, in Cairo and visited some of two of two or three of the mosques. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we always had a tour guide along. And I, we had never seen a mosque, so that was quite an adventure. And uh, the thing was, you could only enter the mosque if you were covered up. So uh, we... Uh, well, no problem. They were standing at the entrance and digging up galabias from a big bag, which we could just slip over our head, and then we were covered from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, mosques, the, the architecture is miraculous on some of them. The, the, the pyramids that you got to visit were also fairly interesting. Um, and some of the paintings were very vivid and artfully done as well. Not in the pyramids. They were in the tombs. Ah, okay. The paintings. The, the pyramids, uh, I was in the uh, Great Pyramid, mm-hmm. Pyramid of Khufu. There were no paintings in there. We just uh, walked up a very narrow passage in the pyramid, and I wouldn't advise it for somebody that tends to be claustrophobic or have breathing problems. But uh, then we got to the chamber, and I was so disappointed. There was not a single painting on the wall, just mm-hmm. a big sarcophagus. Uh-huh. Uh, in the temples where the artwork was so elaborate, and they, they managed to protect it in a lot of ways, including only opening certain ones at certain times because the, the, the breath of the tourists would ruin the paint. Uh, what were some of the images there that, that you still remember? Well, there were a lot, of, a lot of images of Anubis and the gods and, of course, the owner of the tomb. Well, and uh, the owners and their <clears throat> relatives, wife, husband, kids, and uh, scenes from the uh, Egyptian uh, theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, You worked in an international business firm and were a a global traveler uh, because of that, especially Latin America, because, among other things, you spoke Spanish and had great relationships with a lot of customers. Uh, What were the products that that, uh, you were representing? They were actually chemical products, Mm -hmm. chemical specialties that went into uh, plastic, 
like making pipes, bottles, and also specialties that went into uh, creating other chemicals. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a very specialized uh, area. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point, the politics in the office changed, and you were forced to leave the company. And um, that that came later on, though. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, uh, the Sinai Peninsula part of the trip because it sounds like that's a beautiful place to be to visit. Yes, you know, have you ever been to Baja California? Yes. Yes, it's very similar. The uh, landscape to Baja. It reminded me of it in a lot of ways. But uh, it's it's uh, desert, it's dark, hardly any vegetation, and just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like sunrise over the desert is an incredible experience as well. Yes, that was incredible. I've never seen... I have seen something similar once in Massachusetts, when I was a Cape, was a Cape Cod, and uh, but nev- never anything like it. I mean, the stars it was so incredible. I guess probably because there is absolutely no pollution mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah, and that includes city light pollution, I, I assume. So the, the lights didn't take away from it. You also had uh, uh, developed very good relationships with camels while you were over, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I loved camel riding. <laughs> yes. It was really funny, and I ne- <clears throat> for some reason I could uh, manage them quite well. You know, I, it was a natural how to sit on a camel. You kind of pull up your one leg and you keep it at an angle. And uh, when I did that one ride, the camel even listened to my commands. That was really neat. I was proud of myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, there's several businesses that you had a relationship with either as a client or whatever and, and let's start with cataract what what would you say about that business see i have not been able to figure out what was really behind it the best i can do i'm pretty sure it was a uh pretense for drug drug dealings mm-hmm. And the owner of Cataract, no, he wasn't even an owner. The guy that visited me, I thought he was one of the owners because of the way the employees acted around him. But he wasn't. He didn't have any ownership whatsoever. He couldn't even sign anything. So who was he? I think he was just a uh, mafia boss. Mm-hmm. It was a mafia. I have no, there's no doubt in my mind. And uh, it, it later turned out that that mafia had ties into the Egyptian government. Now, is that the boss that uh, uh, insisted that everyone drive a, a Mercedes? Yes, exactly. I think you referred to it as the obligatory Mercedes, and you were looking to partner with them to, to market uh, Egyptian tours in, in, uh, in, in the, the United US. States. Uh-huh. Yes, but I didn't know who he was at that time. Mm-hmm. That was totally innocent, and he came, visited me in Connecticut, and uh, we had a meeting at one of the, at that time, largest travel companies in the U.S., 
But during that meeting, I mean, I was just amazed. He was the owner of the company, and he didn't know anything about his own company. Mm-hmm. That certainly was weird. And he lived in an apartment above the office with, like, stark accommodations, a bed, a table, and a couple of chairs. And a telephone. Yes, exactly. And then he was on the phone the whole time mm-hmm. from what Krista said. You know, you, you believe it or not, I've never been able to talk to that woman again. Well, let's talk a little bit about Krista because she seemed to be friendly to you and then for a, a, quite some time... Mm-hmm. And quite quite often, when you would call her after a, a fashion, she would just, she would just hang up when she heard your voice. Yes, but that was late in the game. You know, mm-hmm. we had uh, agreed on a meeting in uh, near Munich in Hans' house, and uh, she didn't show. She never apologized. Nothing. She had booked, had him book hotel rooms and everything, and so we were worried when uh, there was no word and called her number. And every time she heard our voice, she hung up. Yeah, there were lots of the phone. There was something wrong with the phone, but uh, Mm -hmm. uh -uh. there were lots of people that fell in and out of communication with you, and and that's part of the mystery as you take us through this adventure through the years. Um, And I. I, I'm not sure that you could ever unravel the whole mystery. I know that uh, some of your friends and relatives thought it might be drugs and money laundering. Um, but when let's talk about when you were stalked at your home, because there were an awful lot of evidence that people were breaking in, breaking things of yours, destroying plants. What was that like? Uh, it- it's very scary because uh, you have something around you and you don't know what it is. You know, like uh, that instance with the, with the impatience when I finally realized that somebody crept on my deck and was breaking off the uh, twigs from the impatience. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, it got I got really scared. It's like... Well, you know, there was only half the plant left when I finally caught on. And then I'm like, if the whole plant is gone, is that does it mean somebody will kill me or, or what? You know, just for example. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just because you can't get your handle on it. It's yeah. like uh, and then here in Arizona, it was like uh, I had a poltergeist. I had a roommate at the time, and he he kept joking the poltergeist, but uh, we didn't believe in ghosts, and yet it kept it was on kept on happening. Like yeah, you know, people are in your house moving stuff. <laughs> like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And there were also multiple friends that you called that heard a clicking sound on your phone, and you suspected the phone was bugged, but you got kind of a strange response when you tried to get some help with that. Yes, I did. I mean, I the phone company, that was really weird when I reported it to the phone company, and uh, they were going to send somebody out. And uh, that person that came out, I was afraid at first he, he might be Egyptian, but then he looked like he was a Latin. He had a Latin name emblazoned on his shirt. And uh, uh, then... Uh, they sent people out, and to this day, I wonder who they really were. One of them was a team boss, 
and the other one was a mystery. So uh, it was never solved. I found out from other technicians that came later that the guy that came out was indeed their team boss, but the other one they had never seen, and they had been together for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So uh, who were, who was these guys? Who was this guy? And I wasn't supposed to allowed to tell him that the FBI had gotten involved, and uh, but and then they uh, determined the phone troubles were caused by a little device about the size of a king size pack of cigarettes, mm-hmm. and that they had supposedly exchanged the device and it should be over now. Well, when I had problems with the phones again, another technician came out. I I talked to him about this, and he looked at me wide-eyed, and he says, what? That device no longer exists in today's phone systems. And uh, I will look up the report and call you. And he did. And then they had said in the report that they had been in my family room, and they had not because there wasn't even a jack down there. They just made up a story. Mm-hmm. And, and this guy knew it. I mean, he this technician knew it. He, he could figure it out. Who were they? I mean, who were they? What was really the purpose of the whole thing? Mm-hmm. And there's he, no doubt in my mind that my phones were bugged. Uh huh. And even though you contacted the FBI, you you didn't get a a very prompt response ever from them. No, no. The one uh, this branch office in Bridgeport. That guy's name was Joe Mengen. He acted very strange. First, he was going to bring me up to New Haven immediately to report what had happened to me and people involved. And uh, then this phone thing happened, and he insisted that he talk to that technician that he diagnosed uh, that there was something weird going on with my phones. So this went on for a while, and I... Finally, he said, and he kept telling me he was going to tell me, blah, blah, blah. And then when I finally got impatient, he said, well, I can't help you. You deal with the phone company yourself. Mm-hmm. I was just speechless. No? Mm-hmm. And a couple of times during this part of the adventure, you tried to mail a certified uh you, you tried to use certified mail, and you went into the post office, and there was a stranger who appeared to be Egyptian. Oh, you confirmed he was Egyptian, right? But he did, but he didn't work there, and people wouldn't say who he was. No, no, he was there, and he existed because a Polish friend of mine had also seen him when she tried to mail a package to Poland. And everybody seemed to be afraid when I asked about him. No, there wasn't, you you know, but there was. And who was this guy? Frankly, I think he had also something to do, I don't know. It's. I think he had something to do with the CIA, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Because, and, uh, because just... Uh, uh, Early this year or late last year, I don't remember exactly, I did find out uh, Abdul had been working for the CIA in Egypt for 20 years. Wow. 
Yes, for 20 years. And when you read my book, uh, some of the things make sense now. Like he knew about the casualty figure in the Iraq war, which was much higher than had been reported here, and a few other things, yes. And he's dead now, by the way. Oh, Abdul? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, um, for a time, some people suspected that you were part of the CIA. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they got that idea. I had nothing to do with it. I was just a very confused woman in in a, a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, my German friend said, well, the way you act, they said, you know, they suspect uh, it could be. But uh, he, he was a... Uh, uh, he was a chemist, engineer, and a very, very logical person. So... Uh, much more logical than I would ever be. So he got the idea that some of my actions could be interpreted as those of an agent. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. What appealed to you about Luxor? Um, it's a relatively small town, mm-hmm. and uh, you can uh, meet people there. You know, you're in the street, and people are very friendly. And it's when I, it's got all the antiquities surrounding it, and it's right on the Nile. It's beautiful. So, uh, and it's it's small enough to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have friends from Colombia, Jorge and Amelia, and they had a son, Juan, who was studying visual arts in New York, who uh, chose you as his project for a film he had to make. Yes, did he ever. My God, he had the camera on me <clears throat> whenever we were together. It drove me nuts. <laughs> and um, you got to visit his school and then made arrangements for a trip to Egypt so that he could do some of the shooting there. Yes. And I took him to Egypt because he always wanted to do that, go to Egypt. And uh, plus, Abdul had invited him for the work in the museum he had done. So uh, I thought that's a good idea because then I can come along and not be afraid. So that's what we did, the two of us. Mm -hmm. It was quite interesting. We stayed in the Sheraton. Well, it's no longer the Sheraton today, but in the Sheraton in Cairo in one room, and it was not a problem. Egyptian Moors are more like ours in the hotel business, at least. So. Uh-huh. Um, the the strange man uh, who was the probably a boss in the in the criminal element uh, for the uh, for cataract Nagar. Uh huh. Was he? Um, do you have any idea why he? Uh, showed off old Egyptian-style eating in the restaurant? <laughs> no, I have no idea, but, but he did. Mm. He could eat perfectly proper with a uh, knife and fork, but uh, even when we went to the restaurant, we just stared in disbelief. He took both hands and shoveled the, the salad into his mouth. Mm-hmm. And you later found out that that's not Egyptian-style anymore. Not anymore. So when I was invited to my friend's house with uh, the kids and everything, um, 
they didn't have a table. They spread a tablecloth on the floor, or yeah, cloth of some sort, and all the dishes were put on that cloth, and then everybody would help themselves with their fingers. So it's still done to some extent. And uh, what do you attribute your encounter with Heidi to? I don't know. I I think it was just coincidence, but uh, I was in a state of frame of mind that uh, it obviously um, puzzled me, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was just coincidence. She was genuine, just a genuine a German woman visiting her relatives in Egypt. But you can understand from where I was coming from that uh, I would have other suspicions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have been paranoid to to the brink of, of insanity. And, and um, you know, I, I think as I was reading it, I, I thought I would have moved <laughs> to the, from that house in Greenwich where all the strange things happened. Uh, but you cho- you chose to stay. You weren't going to be scared away on that. No, I wasn't going to be driven from my own home. Mm-hmm. I, I thought there was some nerve, you know, to drive me from my own home. Even though the police thought it would be a good idea, too. But And then, look, I moved to Arizona, and the whole thing follows me. Even though I had a three-year break in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened there for about three years. Then I moved to Arizona, and I'm in Arizona, and... Uh, Two months after I'm in my house, it starts up again, relentlessly. Wow. Um, September 11th, 2001, was a was a hectic day for you. You were uh, going to your office in, uh, in Philadelphia and didn't hear the news right away about the Twin Towers. Um, but that was a, a trying time as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, I got to the office, and everybody was running running around like chickens without heads. And uh, I had, when I drove into the garage, I had heard something, President Bush and airplanes. So I didn't know what was exactly going on. So then they came running. Don't you know we are all being evacuated? The World Trade Center was hit by airplanes. And so that was a trying day. And then you were kind of stuck in Philadelphia because all the bridges and tunnels were closed. So I couldn't go home unless I took a statewide detour, and that's the only thing I wanted to do was go home. Mm-hmm. And just uh, one more point in the book, and I, and I do recommend to my readers that you read it. It's an engaging book. Um, it seems that in Egypt, fair-skinned women with red hair are uh, popular. <laughs> they are rarity. <laughs> Probably why. I have never understood that. Mm-hmm. And they, especially they were uh, fixated with my eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have normal, I think, normal hazel, hazel eyes, but they were always staring at me and pointing to my eyes. Maybe the combination with red hair is what makes it different. I don't know. Well, uh, it certainly earns you a lot of compliments uh, while, while you were over there in various locations. Yes, it did. <laughs> Made you feel good. Yeah. This uh, uh, we're we're almost out of time here. This this is a true story of um, uh, that that has suspenseful mystery in it, that has vivid descriptions of the the tours that she took, and it's a it's a wonderful read. Uh, I want to remind our guests that if you don't hear our regularly scheduled broadcast, you can catch us on YouTube at Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. 
I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Thanks for listening and make it a great day.